Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from 360 Learning, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm speaking with Peter Shepard, Global Head of L&D Ecosystems at Ericsson. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us, and thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Peter, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thanks so much, David. It's uh, it's honestly a pleasure to be here. Uh, well, Peter, perhaps you could start off by telling us a bit about your role at Ericsson and perhaps an overview of what Ericsson's focusing on today. Yeah, sure. Um, so I suppose the glamorous way of expressing my role is that um, uh, I, uh, my, me and my team help create the environment of learning in Ericsson. Um, the, the slightly less glamorous way, David, is, is to say that we're actually responsible for kind of the end-to-end infrastructure around mm-hmm. learning. So that's anything from the technology through skills and jobs frameworks to analytics right through to improving our administration and so on. Uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's a little bit about what I do and what we mean by ecosystem. Um, Now, what Ericsson does, um, so we essentially make your phone work for you, your mobile phone work for you. Uh, So we're responsible for creating uh, a lot of the globe's uh, uh, telecom network infrastructure. And and I have about a over about a hundred thousand colleagues that are working to try and make that happen in around 180 countries. Uh, and so we we do a lot of that network infrastructure around 5G. So mm-hmm. for example, we have uh, 5G, I think, in over around a hundred or at least 130 live networks now in around 55 countries. So mm-hmm. hopefully that gives you a little bit of a flavor of, of what we do in Ericsson. Yeah, that's great, Peter. That gives us a, a top line overview for which uh, I'm sure we'll go deeper on uh, on your role and your priorities. Uh, now, we want to talk about skills in uh, in this conversation, and there's a lot of noise at the moment about skills. But what's your take on why the big in why there is big interest at the moment amongst L and D and HR teams and even business leaders? Yeah, you're so right, David. There's there seems to be kind of an increasing number of companies, organizations that are getting interested in skills. And I think one of the reasons is that most companies are trying to think about what can give them a competitive edge all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of the, and there's of course many, many different factors, variables that that, that can have that influence. But one of them I think can be around skills. So, uh, you know, whether the, you've got the right mix of skills, and of course, this is something that as an HR functions, uh, particularly L&D teams, can have an influence on um, and, uh, and, and actually take a lead on as well. And it's one of those areas where skills can run through all the HR team does. So whether you're in the reward function, the L&D function, uh, recruitment, skills become relevant. So I think there's a an interest because it runs across so many there as well, so many of our functions. Hmm. Um, but I think there's an individual component to this as well, uh, which all of us 
are concerned and wanting to try and push on our careers and so on. And as we kind of move away from the old hierarchical careers and we go towards more networked careers, Hmm. then people are saying, well, okay, well, firstly, how do I navigate this? But also what's going to make the difference? And skills, people, I think, are latching on to skills as individuals uh, to say that if I grow my skills, then perhaps I can be more useful in this area. So mm. I think it's it's starting to have an interest amongst people in organizations. It's not just leaders, HR teams and so on. And you hear things like, you know, the, the, uh, the liquid organization and the people being able to um, people being able to uh, be mobile between different projects and so on and that has I think an impact as well so I think there's a kind of an individual component to this and then there is an HR team component and then there's what kind of CEOs and organizations become interested in. Yeah, do you know what, Peter? That's uh, that's really interesting because thinking back at the time that I've been in learning and development, we've had uh, a big push on competencies and big push on behaviours. But I think skills is the first um, uh, top-down initiative that individuals themselves have latched onto, and I think that there because there is so much talk in the market about. Uh, about skills, some of the, the scary statistics around eighty uh, percent of the workforce of twenty thirty are already in the workforce today, but the half life of skills is decreasing as well. So the the vast majority of people in the workforce can expect to reskill during their their uh, the next uh, eight to ten years, which which of course puts a great deal of onus on on them and and a great deal of onus on us to 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 achieve demonstrable results. So so let's bring this to life. What about Ericsson? Uh, Peter, where has the pressure come from that has led to the work that you're doing on skills? Well, yeah, and I'll come on to that in just a moment. But mm. I just uh, something else I wanted to mention on the last question, David, is mm-hmm. why are L and D teams uh, getting so interested in this mm. as well? Um, and I think it's because we learn for a reason, and you know, it's we learn to improve the performances of our businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where performance consulting comes in and is so important. We also um, we also learn to change our behavior and behaviors kind of, if you like, underlie skills. But we also learn to improve skills. And so I think for L&D teams, um, then uh, I think it really has it gives a purpose, if you like, to what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'll come back to your question yeah. uh, around why, where's the pressure coming from in Ericsson? And I think pressures come sometimes from frustrations uh, across the organization amongst leaders um, and also amongst people trying to develop their careers. So I think there's an element of frustration in that we need to know better the skills that we have in Ericsson. You know, we recruit an enormous amount of people, you know, over 9,000 people, over 10,000 people every year in Ericsson. We get these people on board and then we put a lot of time and money into them, uh, into the recruitment process. And then do we really understand the skills that we've got once they're on board? Um, And also the people that have been in Ericsson a while, do we really know what we've got? So being able to understand the skills better. 
that we've got in the organizationism. And then I think there is a frustration that we we need to understand what skills we need as well. So where are we headed in terms of in terms of the skills that are going to make us successful as an organization? So there's there's some of that. I think there's also a, a desire to have more targeted learning as well. Mm. Um, you know, learning I feel is at its best when it is um, when it is targeted on developing some very specific skills, and that of course helps you really measure and understand whether the learning's made a difference or not. Mm. Um, so being clear about that, if you want to progress in this role or you want to progress in Ericsson, what are the targeted skills to focus on? Then I think that is important as well. And, you know, another pressure is that we are kind of, as I mentioned in the intro to what Ericsson does, we're a tech company. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of describe ourselves as a technology first company. And if you are, if you're that sort of technology first company, then clearly technical skills matter. You know, if we can find what, you know, what is going to be 6G going to be all about, you know, we've, we're now rolling out 5G, but if we're going to know what 6G looks like, then we've got to have the right technical skills in our R&D teams um, and uh, to, to make that happen. Uh, you know, because whilst we roll out a new G every five or six years more, you do need to, um, you know, in the end, we've it's us that are driving this and we need the right skills to make that happen. So it's those are some of the pressures. And, and one more, actually, if I may, um, is around mobility. I mm. think it comes back to what we were talking a little bit earlier that individuals people all of us are interested in skills because we think it can do something for our careers Mm. companies uh, and we care about the retention of our people you know it's it's uh it's really important that if we are going to make those leaps in 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 technologies that we that we're able to retain the people and people stay what we find is that one of the main reasons people stay and stay with Ericsson and stay in, in our organization is because they want to see mobility. Mm. They want to see some career growth. Um, and so we feel we could actually do better there as well. Mm. So if we can do better, then perhaps skills and focusing on skills to make that happen. And and that's why we're bringing in things like, uh, like many organizations, talent marketplaces. Hmm. Um, so uh, where you're matching the skills to the opportunities. Uh, and we're at the early stages of that. Uh, but if you can, you know, next year is when we plan to really roll out that. that. But if that matching only gets done well, if if to some extent you have that skills data yeah so in in that way skills is a bit of a data game Mm. um you know if you've got the skills in there that describing what i can do what peter can do better then it enables you to match better i think against the the opportunities whether they be 
vacancies or mm. whether they be kind of project opportunities. So, uh, so uh, yeah, that's a, a little bit. Um, there's probably more, but that's a little <laughs> bit about the pressures that we're feeling as to why we need to get our act sorted out around skills. Uh, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to ask you a little bit more about that skills data in a moment. But, but before I do, just uh, just a comment. It does sound you've reinforced there what you uh, what you mentioned at the outset that this is a holistic approach that um, to to apply. Um, uh, the departments that I've worked in previously, you know, we at Disney, we had a workforce planning team that that had an eye on the skills that and the profiles that were required for tomorrow. And when I say tomorrow, that could that could quite literally mean job just around the corner or five years down the line. Uh, plus uh, recruitments to understand open job postings, both now and in the in the very near term compensation and benefits and of course then you've got the internal learning and development teams i very recently spoke to uh, to a, a learning and development leader who said that some of the problems that uh, that they had is in their particular industry there's high churn so but but churn is getting out of control in their organization and part of the problem was is that they were required uh, they were hiring 70 percent of uh of uh, uh of, of filling 70 percent of internal roles from external candidates so you can see a mismatch that that left to chance then this this stuff doesn't actually happen and and in today's market i mean you, you see this stuff on linkedin all the time that both pay and prospects are top of the the tree right now. Forget about Hertzberg uh, right now. <laughs> uh, for one, there's a long, long time ago. But in a cost of living crisis, people want to know that they that they can uh, they can they can meet their outgoings uh, without losing uh, comfort or security. Uh, but even in the absence of, of thriving in what is a very difficult market, to know that they they are improving their prospects is such a key factor in retaining people. And there's no there's no fluff around that now it's you know it's almost like it's uh it's going to take hard action to achieve hard measures yeah no completely right and uh and and i think also you, you mentioned i think a very good point about the fact that um that organizations need to find uh better ways and alternatives to just recruiting as well mm. you can't um uh one of the benefits i think of focusing on skills is that you is that you could if you can increase the mobility then essentially that is that is a cheaper alternative to external hiring okay. if you can use skills to then uh have better upskilling and reskilling then that's actually cheaper than recruitment full stop and and I think that is the sometimes thing we don't push hard enough as as an, as L and D teams is this is a, a more cost effective, more engaging, more has more effect on retention of people if you give them those kind of reskilling opportunities. Can you tell us a bit more about the skills data? Uh, what what that that actually means and and how you'll harvest that? Yeah. Um, so. Skills data we have probably in two dimensions, and and perhaps that I can get into that if I may, David, through uh, um, through just saying a little bit about where we're kind of headed because mm. I think data comes out of that. Um, so we we are are kind of what we're focusing on is two main areas around skills. One is sorting out our whole job and skills architecture, mm. and what we are doing with that is automating 
um, uh, and simplifying what we are doing. Um, alt by automating, I mean that um, we are uh, firstly digitizing all of our jobs, um, putting all our jobs in good old SAP, mm -hmm. um, uh, but also automating the sourcing of a skills taxonomy. Mm. So external company that we will use to bring in that skills uh, taxonomy um, and that means that the skills are updating on a regular basis mm -hmm. so the skills that we use to say are the requirements for the roles um, are constantly and can, can regularly be updated I suppose mm -hmm. um, we're also and bringing in on a regular basis then skills intelligence um, so that means, are those skills growing? Are they declining? What are the emerging skills and so on? So we kind of get a feel for what's happening out there in the marketplace around skills. Mm. Um, uh, so that whole piece is kind of what we're doing. And you can see from that, if you start to have skills intelligence, yeah, uh, then you can start to use that. Um, for firstly creating skills reports, we had our first go uh, last year, at creating a kind of annual skills report. You know, what what are the skills that we've got in Ericsson? Um, what are how are those skills comparing to external benchmarks? So you can kind of get a feel: Are we doing well in developing our skills, or are we not? Um, and then also how we're doing in specific targeted areas. And that, that actually is the other main piece of work, the second uh, main piece of work that we're doing, um, which is um, more, more about targeting eight critical skill areas. So we've worked with our strategy teams um, uh, to say, well, what are the skills that are really going to make a difference to fulfilling Ericsson's future strategy? Mm. So to try and ground what we do in, in what is needed from the business and the future and create future business success. Mm. Uh, so, and that helps us create very targeted uh, learning plans and targeted learning journeys but also helps us come back to your data point again um, but also helps us uh, say this is how we are uh, this is the progress that we are making in terms of developing those skills because in the end identifying them is one thing but we've got to be able to show that we are making progress in developing some specific skills and then be prepared to change them as well. Hmm. Well, just on, on that point, of course, impact is notoriously difficult to demonstrate in LD. So I wonder how you do demonstrate uh, impact or at least uh, equate investments to, uh, uh, to uh, a return on that investment. Well, I'll be honest, I probably shouldn't declare this on this podcast, but it's, uh, I'm not a huge fan of ROI calculations. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I always remember back to when I, I did what I thought was a wonderful ROI calculation showing uh, if we implemented this amount of sales learning and so on, this is what it would mean. I took it into, I think, the guy who headed up sales for UK and Ireland. And uh, 
And he said, well, you made this assumption, Peter, you've made this assumption and this assumption. So basically, your ROI calculation isn't worth a lot, is it? Mm. Um, so I, I kind of since then perhaps have, have not been so keen on that kind of ROI piece. What I am a fan of um, is being, uh, being able to show skills progression. Mm. Um, if you like, in Kirkpatrick's terms, the old third level. Um, so uh, um, that, that we can show at both a macro level and at an individual level that we are developing, the, uh, that we are making progress on developing those skills and setting targets for those. Mm. So I mentioned about that we had got eight critical skill areas. We, for majority of those areas, we have set targets for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are tracking our progress as to um, how much development is driving skill progression. Yeah. And some of that is some of that is not just development, it's also assessments as well. But I think one of the I'm not sure we've uh, escaped entirely from the older uh, problem of uh, that if I've completed this learning program, that means I must have this skill, which mm. means I must have this impact. Uh, and we are still, I think, trying to make a make progress on that and 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 actually uh, show that we can we can do more than just completions. Mm. Yeah, because of course that's a you know a, a big problem in the market, and uh, I, I see uh, plenty of grand claims by uh, by the, by L and D vendors that consume in. X content equates to skills in double quick time. Um, but of course, we know that that's not, uh, it's not as simple as that. Uh, the people who can't run away from their solutions in-house realize that uh, that's the case. Uh, I've mentioned the, uh, the the example many times on this podcast of being, uh, being approached um, because the Italian uh, publishing business in Disney uh, was flourishing. The physical f- publishing business was flourishing, but they needed to pivot to digital. Uh, but there was a low proliferation of uh, of digital skills, as well as a low proliferation of the the, the hardware, uh, digital hardware. Um, and the average tenure of Disney employees in, in Italy was eleven years. Uh, so what do you do? Uh, and the the only we did what we the only thing we could do is we had to do rigorous analysis. We had to do job redesign uh, and then mini accelerated apprenticeship so that people could actually do the job. We couldn't run away from the solution. The only way that we could actually demonstrate any impact was that they could actually do the new job and produce um, digital content. So, you know, I, I, I wonder, you know, wh- you know, whether you've got those hard measures that that sit with you, Peter, or whether you're kind of uh, connected in as part of the ecosystem, the, the, you know, the HR and L&D ecosystem, so that, that you're not ultimately accountable for people being equipped with the skills, or do you have an element of accountability that, uh, that, that, that you need to hold? Uh, we do as an L&D, overall L&D team. Um, within the ecosystem team, we're more about putting in the infrastructure to enable that to happen. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I think the ability for people people need to be able to demonstrate at the end of the learning that they that they can actually 
achieve what the learning was targeted for them to do. Um, and I've always been a, I've always been kind of a bit of a fan of the Brinkerhoff success case measurement type mm -hmm. approach. Um, and, we, and we've used that to some degree. One, so you can show the the almost the line of sight from uh, from, if you like, the business problems that you're trying to solve, mm -hmm. performance gaps that can be identified to then which are the relevant skills to then if you manage to learn people learn those skills then they deliver on them and, and i think we've we've tried to do that in a few programs um and uh, uh uh but it is quite time intensive to do but i think then out of that if you can then build credentialing and assessment that has some real that really does test whether somebody can do it or not. And I think we shouldn't underestimate the importance of things like simulation for mm. people, people to be able to show that they can really uh, demonstrate what and achieve what the learning is, is all about. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Now, all the way the the thread uh, that uh, that's gone through this whole uh, conversation, that I'd love to uh, to go deeper on uh, Peter. Is technology? It's clearly playing uh, a huge role in providing solutions at an enormous scale, uh, Ericsson, uh, and you know your role is leading the global tech ecosystem. So, I wonder how that works at Ericsson. Well, I guess the first thing I should say is that you know you buy technology it doesn't guarantee perfect outcomes mm -hmm. of course um and uh, uh so uh, there's a lot else that we need both in terms of culture terms and also in terms of business focus to ensure success um but what we've been a fan of doing i think for a few years now is what we talk about is trying to create an easy ecosystem mm. um uh so technology should help reduce the friction it takes for people to learn, but also reduce the friction for people to develop a learning habit. Um, so I always like this notion of having a learning habit, which you uh, just in the same way as I go in and do my emails and we're all fanatical about clearing out our emails, um, that you have that same want that have that same habit towards learning. Hmm. Um, so reducing the friction, I think, is is what we've been trying to achieve. Now, we brought in uh, an LXP, like many companies, um, hmm. and and I think to some extent that has been a game changer in in helping us create uh, uh, create more of that daily habit of learning. Hmm. Um, uh, it doesn't. It's not the whole solution. Um, but I think it uh, I think it can help. I mentioned earlier as well that we are focusing on a talent marketplace as well. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, and actually building the connection um, between the LXP and the talent marketplace, which we've uh, which we've got, I think is key as well, because if you're going to make it easy, then it has to be a joined up experience mm. for for people using the different technologies in the end people don't care about the individual technologies what they want to do is if i went for a job i didn't get that job uh perhaps i could do with improving some of my skills in some areas to give put me a better chance next time mm -hmm. then 
then I want to be able to then get the learning and uh, the necessary learning to help me with that. If I've got a target, a career plan to get a certain role, uh, then, then uh, my ability to uh, find learning that will help me with that is going to motivate me more to learn. Mm. Uh, so those that kind of being able to join join that up, I think, is really key. Um, the other piece that that we do and is is which is often a little bit controversial at times is the library content. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, yeah, there'll be like quite a few people that say, "Oh, do we really need all of this this additional library content?" We buy from three or four libraries. Mm. Um, what can help, though, and this is perhaps the connection into skills bit, is if that library content is well tagged. Mm. Um, uh, uh, which means that, you know, if I, if I'm in the LXP and I want to, uh, I want to learn a particular skill negotiating or influencing, whatever it may be. And the, and the, and the content is really well tagged and then it suggests that content, mm. uh, then I think it, then suddenly the library content can become far more useful hmm. we also can have tagged our content towards some of our global critical skills as well so if you value some skills over other skills then then i think it can help us it can help the findability not sure that's a word but we can <laughs> it's uh, you can uh, the findability of content uh, and 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 then it all starts to be help one another then you know we go back to having an easier ecosystem to use mm. i'm not saying we've totally cracked it yeah. <laughs> so we still have a lot of when it, you know i've mentioned talent marketplaces and lxps we've got an lms that sits behind it you know we in the end i think almost the secret when you're getting better with technology is where in for accessing learning content is where people almost don't see what sits all behind it and that for me is the value or at least one of the values of an lxp mm -hmm. um but what i do hope is that you know so we that we can move from being an easy ecosystem to one that is joined up with other people systems to mm. provide a kind of joined up people experience. And then I, I would love us to get into a situation in the future, and this is what we're working towards, is can the, can the LXP be more my kind of almost, almost like my online skills coach mm. um, and, and really help me and assist me in that journey? So, for example, if I change jobs, does it automatically say, well, now you've changed jobs, Peter. There's all these new skills that you need to think about. And I'm going to suggest lots of different types of learning to you. Mm. But then also it recognizes that because I'm also a fan of recognizing that there is, you know, we used to call it micro macro learning. Now it's kind of, you know, deeper learning as well. Mm. But there is can it suggest to me experiences as well as uh, and because 
learning should not be all about the the formal learning yeah you know we're so focused on content all the time um let's it's the experiences that actually can often learn more in yeah yeah that's right i know you know you're talking about the challenges of scale uh here that uh, that um you could, i think step one for many people in your position is the provision of learning to make sure that you've uh, you've you've covered the gaps because you know you don't want people coming to you with uh, with with um uh with myriad requests that uh, that you need to respond to it's almost as if you need to plug that gap then it's about making sure that you're there when you transition i love what you said there if you're connecting your talent marketplace to recruitment and perhaps unsuccessful job applications get people when they are motivated to to improve and help to guide them uh, to uh, uh to towards that that improvement but uh but focusing on uh, periods of transition and enforced adaptation are when people actually need our help and then guide them through uh, to to uh, improve performance, uh, which I think that they would relate to rather than necessarily just the 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 the, the absorption of uh, of learning content. And I, I think you're right. I mean, I think that's one why reskilling is to some extent the lost opportunity of L and D teams mm. that uh, because. We tend to focus more on the upskilling piece, but you know, if we can come, particularly when companies are under financial challenges, to say, let's not necessarily make these people redundant. They actually have skills that are very adjacent to what we, or at least try and identify the people mm. with the adjacent skills to the areas that are expanding, because yeah. those people can potentially be reskilled into new roles. Mm. And uh, uh, and you're 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 also using innovative technology elsewhere, aren't uh, aren't you, Peter? Could you explain a little bit about uh, your your careers fairs? Yeah, um, yeah, we're not quite there yet on the careers fair, but please, but let, let me explain a little bit um, what a um, what we're doing, perhaps in more innovative technologies. Um, and you know, I've been in learning and development quite a while, and there's always a new technology coming along or around the corner, and. Uh, mm. uh, and every time it does, whether it be right back to CDs and CD interactive, to e-learning, to video, to each time the one of these pivots happens or these new technologies comes out, mm. um, people tend to say, well, this is it. This is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, the one that's that's attracting a lot of attention at the moment is virtual reality. Um, and uh, uh, and mixed reality and so on. And I think it does interesting. I think it is super interesting what it can what it can achieve. Mm-hmm. Will it be the panacea for everything? Absolutely not. Uh, uh, will it be one to add to the list to what I like to call the variety engine? Mm-hmm. So you know, for me, it's it's about creating variety of learning channels and methods that can enable people to learn better for different types of skills and different types of situations. Mm. Um, and VR is an interesting one, and I think in two areas. Uh, it's one area is, um, I think, whether it can have greater impact on people. And perhaps I can give us an example to this. I, I've done a safety leadership course recently. Um, mm-hmm required learning in Ericsson. And there were two, two, two areas of learning I've done. One is the typical six-hour webinar. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
And the second is we developed um, a, uh, a VR experience where you climb a tower. Because one of the, the very dangerous things that happens in telco uh, is when we are um, putting these towers out by the side of the road, the motorway that you see and so on, is, is, to, is for our engineers to climb the towers. Mm. Um, and there are accidents. And we want our leaders and everybody to be aware of the vital importance of that safety. Now, in terms of impact, what the VR experience I did, which one of the team created, um, you climb the tower in VR. Um, you, it takes you through all the safety procedures required, including the hooking on of the carabiners and so on. Um, stepping out to alter the, uh, um, the the antenna, and then you fall, and that actually is quite impactful, mm. uh, as you can imagine. Uh, so the question is, does that have more impact, or does the six-hour webinar? Mm. Uh, and to some extent, they complement one another. But I think that shows where, in a ten-minute piece of VR, uh, you actually fully understand why it matters, uh, this kind of safety. Um, the other one that I think is interesting around VR is Metaverse. Uh, yeah. And uh, and uh, Mr. Zuckerberg and co, uh, uh, of course, giving that a lot of, uh, a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we are, we, we've done a little bit of work on that. We, for example, we have, uh, uh, created an exhibition space that we call the Ericsson Virtual Studio, uh, which has exhibitions of learning to try and attract people to learn more. Mm -hmm. um, but then we're going to build out from that to be more of a um, where you can actually gain access learning, individual learning experiences like that tower climbing one I mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, understanding how 5G works. Uh, all of those sorts of things that you then access in a, a bigger metaverse. But for me, I mean, what makes the metaverse is the social element mm -hmm. that, you know, you and I, David, today could be meeting in the metaverse if we mm -hmm. want to. Um, and, uh, but the challenge with that, instead of looking at each other right now uh, over Zoom uh, and, and seeing our facial expressions and reacting to each other facial expressions is that is that you you kind of miss that in the quite poor quality of avatars mm. you know if you all you see is a, a kind of comic figure of me from the shoulders up you don't get the same engagement I don't think in the metaverse than you get in a live teams environment or zoom environment mm. so um so I think there's still got some areas to crack, and I think that will be one of them. Yeah, That's yeah. one answer. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's brilliant. No, it's, uh, yeah, I, I agree. It's, there's bags of potential, and uh, and we'll inevitably get there. But uh, uh, but let's not think that it's going to be the the next the next thing to jump on uh, because learning and development have been notorious for jumping on uh, onto to new and novel technology, uh, but not actually investing in the analytical. Uh, the, the the skills of analysis uh, that means we're solving real problems with the new and novel technology. But hey, 
that's a, that maybe that's a different conversation. Uh, but Peter, as we look to wrap up, uh, if the uh, going back to to the the main bulk of the conversation here around skills, if the listeners thinking uh, that that they need to to focus on skills in the ways that you've described and uh, and in the work that you're doing, how do you suggest that they get started? Yeah, it's a great question. I I um I would suggest start with solving problems goes back to what you were saying about starting with analysis and performance. Um, start to look at what performance problems, either at the organizational level, within the team level, that you're trying to solve. Uh, is it that there's a team that particularly wants to understand what are the critical skills in that team that will make a difference? And how can you build it into both the recruitment, the learning and development, have more targeted learning and development as a result? Mm -hmm. What are the pain points that are coming out from the organization? So problems, pain points, I think is a key place to start and then start to show the value of solving them. What does it mean in terms of business numbers if you start solving them? i.e. in terms of reducing the co total cost of workforce, reducing the, uh, uh, the attrition rates, um, what difference, what real business impact will it make? Um, and then I think when you've you kind of got your platform, um, then I think it's go out and experiment. I think if there's there's one mistake that we made a little bit was we tried to boil the ocean too early. So, uh, um, I, so keep it a little bit more focused on experiments where you can then show, look, if we do take this approach of focusing on skills, this is the impact that it can have. And then I think grow it from there. Great advice, Peter. Uh, um, that's, that, that's certainly, uh, uh, advice that I'd, uh, I'd I'd endorse. So, so thank you very much. And all, all that's left for me to say, Peter, is thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. It's been my absolute pleasure, David. Organisations are facing a skills crisis, and some are more aware than others. But they'll inevitably find themselves let down by their L and D departments if the market-driven myths around skills development are believed. Skills can only be developed if they're understood in the context they are to be employed and there are no silver bullet solutions to avoid this, as we discussed. If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality L&D chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the L&D Collective of which I'm an active member. Join me and hundreds of L&D peers via the link to the L&D Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn, again, for which you'll find links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.